1: I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Christianity is now openly and unapologetically under attack in America, especially the Catholic Church. The mainstream media, many Democratic politicians, and even some Republicans refer to Christianity as a toxic religion. Both CNN and MSLSD have recently done hit pieces on what they call white Christian nationalism that are intended to turn public opinion against us they say we're the single greatest threat to American democracy. They've been building up to open attacks for quite some time, mostly through subtle means. With all the vandalism against Christian churches over the last two years, mostly Catholic churches, they seem to be succeeding. Because of the growing hostility against us in America, it's vitally important that we're unified in doing everything according to the constant 2,000-year teachings of our holy and ancient faith, not just what we like. On this week's episode, we're hearing from Simon Rafe about one of the most disunifying things in the church today, something that you six-pack warriors seem equally split on. Simon is one of the foremost experts on this topic. I try never to do this, but the Biden economy has this apostolate against the ropes. Virtually everything used to keep this apostolate in business is crushing me. Up to now, when the apostolate hasn't generated enough revenue to cover expenses, i paid for it out of pocket. That's no longer an option because our personal income is only about $2,000 per month and we're being crushed. I realize that this economy is hurting you too, but most of you have more disposable income than we do. I need your help because we're having to choose which essentials we can afford on a month-by-month basis. There are two ways you can help. In the show notes of each episode at cantankerouscatholic.com, there are a list of links under headings Earn Money Online, Courses and Tools, Health and Wellness, Trading and Investing, Podcasting, and Miscellaneous. These links are to products and services that may interest you, and I get a commission if you purchase them. As always, I won't recommend anything I believe is shady, and to the best of my knowledge, you can trust these links. The other way you can help is by clicking on the link that says, help keep the Joe Six Pack the Every Catholic Guy apostolate alive. You can make a one-time gift, but you'll also have the option of making yours a monthly gift. Please make it a monthly gift if you can, Food shortages are already becoming apparent, and rolling blackouts are coming soon. We're elderly and ill. We need help, and I thank you in advance for your generosity. All non-Catholic churches, that is, Protestant churches, were founded and established by mere men. None of them can prove a link in history prior to 1517. Some, like the various Pentecostal churches, claim to be the original churches founded by Christ and established by the apostles. However, every single one of them are definitively linked to a human founder. I mention this because it seems far too many Catholics are easily misled by anti-Catholic adherents to these Christian sects. As long as I'm on the subject, I want to recommend a very honest book written by Protestant authors called Handbook of Denominations in the United States. At least my tenth edition of the book from 1995 is honest. You'll find a link to the most recent edition in my show notes, but I digress. Because all of non-Catholic churches are founded by mere men, they will never come under persecution the way the Catholic Church is persecuted. Protestantism in America's modern landscape is merely an annoyance for Satan because they're human religions. Some even work today on his side. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, is the one thing on earth that Satan fears. He fears it because our church was founded and established by God himself. It's been under demonic attack since Christ founded it, but the hellish persecution of the church has been growing almost exponentially for about the last 100 years. Why do you think that the USCCB has become the Marxist criminal empire it's become? Why are the Catholic laity ignorant of the faith? Why do 82% of Catholics reject one or more of the Church's teachings, and 70% reject the real presence? Satan fears the Catholic Church so much that he's been trying to destroy her from within as the most sure means of being able to act in the world with impunity. Modernism is coming to America, and it's coming soon. It seems unimaginable to most of us now, but you can rest assured that it's coming. If you read your Bible regularly, then you already know this. The chances for any of us to live through a period of martyrdom are pretty slim. There are going to be two types of Catholics during the most deadly persecution in history. The first and most common type of Catholic will be those who align themselves with the evil Marxists of the USCCB or simply outright deny the faith. This type of Catholic will very likely not be martyred, but they can only expect hell as their eternal destiny. The other type of Catholic during this deadly persecution will be the holy orthodox practicing Catholic. That means Catholics who adhere to 100% of what the Catholic Church teaches. If you want to be in that number and be assured of your place in heaven when the deadly persecution comes, you can't afford to be out of line with one single doctrine, dogma, or practice from the Church's 2,000-year constant teaching. None. If you're out of line with any of these things, then you've thrown your towel in with the other Catholics. Period. The one thing that seems to cause division in our ranks more than anything else is the issue of communion in the hand. Based on my interaction with you six-pack warriors and the comments I read, you seem to be pretty equally divided on this issue. It seems that many of you are convinced that you have a right to receive communion in the hand, and that you're determined to continue doing so come hell or high water, emphasis on hell. I've dealt with the issue of communion in the hand repeatedly on this show. It seems no matter what I say, about half of you are intent on being recalcitrant children. I don't understand why that is, but your immortal soul hangs in the balance over this issue. So in this episode, we're making one last attempt at helping you to see the light. Our guest today is Simon Rafe. He's the chief of staff at Michael Voris' Church Militant. I've long been a fan of Simon's. On the issue of communion in the hand, in my opinion, Simon is one of the most foremost experts we have. Among lay people. he's probably the foremost expert. Most of the arguments you hear, either pro or con to communion in the hand, are superficial at best. There's nothing superficial about anything Simon says on the topic. He spent years researching the topic, and he can back up everything he says with facts, church documents, and history. Let's listen to my discussion with Simon Ray. Simon Rafe from Church Militant. You're the chief of staff at Church Militant, correct? I
2: am, yes. That's uh, that, that's my job title, although I, I think it just sort of general dog's body wasn't taken, so they, uh, they, they decided <laughs> to give me that. Sometimes I talk about the faith, sometimes I do HR, sometimes I sign checks. It's kind of that sort of stuff.
1: Okay. In other words, you're the guy who wears all the hats.
2: All the hats, yes, and, and only sometimes the trousers, I think it seems.
1: Simon, I have been a fan of yours for a long, long time, and I think one of the best premium features on Church Militant is uh, that one you do, uh, what is it called, Case Files.
2: Case Files, Case yeah. Case Files. Yeah, we did a couple I, seasons of that,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I wish you would do more, because I think that thing is tremendous.
2: We, we want to do more, we do. I wanted to do uh, a season, season three, about um, the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Really wanted to go into that. And obviously, I don't know if any of your six-pack warriors have seen the show, but uh, each season has a kind of a style. So the first season was all very noir, Maltese Falcon in kind of style. The second season was sort of your classic James Bond, Mission Impossible <laughs> Spy series. third season, I either... Either I wanted to do Dick Wolf New York procedural, like Law and Order, or or I wanted to do Miami Vice. And I, I, that's the star <laughs> that I wanted to do. And I just haven't had time to do it. And I so want to do that because I think it'll be fun.
1: I think it would be too. And it's very necessary because I've been telling Six Pack Warriors all along. I hear everybody talk about the documents of Vatican II. They're depending on who you talk to it's either the best thing since sliced bread or vatican ii is the cause of all of our problems and what i have discovered over the years is that all the people who have these very strong opinions not one of them have read the documents
2: <laughs> not one of them it's, it's always the way no it's my favorite thing somebody will come along and they'll uh say something about the documents of vatican ii either it's like you know you church militant aren't holding to the documents of Vatican II, or somebody will come along and say, you know, the the church today is just all, it's just implementing the documents of Vatican II, and that's away from the faith. And I'm like, well, okay, specifically which document and and where in which document? I was actually talking to a lady recently who said, you know, this is, uh, you know, Latin shouldn't be used in the mass. And I said, well, what? And she said, it's in Vatican II. And I'm like, where in Vatican II? Because I've got this quote from Vatican II that says exactly the opposite. And she didn't write back, and I was a little disappointed. So,
1: that, yeah, I I understand that. I have people, I have people telling me that uh, Vatican II changed everything from Trent in that uh, it denies that the Catholic Church is the only means of salvation. Whenever in Lumen Gentium, it's quite specific that it's the uh, only means of salvation. I just. I don't understand these folks but we're here to talk about communion in the hand. So let's get started with that. Simon I've told six pack warriors over and over again how bad communion in the hand is. But many of them seem to think it's okay because the church allows it. Based on my experience on my interactions with my listeners, I'd say and, and there are 70 what 73,000 of them I think across the country they seem to uh, be split about 50/50 on this mm. regardless of what I say and in my Catholic boot camp segment I've covered it many many times uh, in fact I've used you many times so please explain to the six-pack warriors how this permission they think they have really isn't a permission at all
2: Well yeah it's a it's a big and it's a complicated issue but it ultimately boils down to one pretty simple principle, which is permission obtained through deceit isn't any permission at all. And so is there a permission for communion in the hand? Absolutely, yes. There is a permission for communion in the hand that was obtained in the 1970s by what was the, uh, the Conference of Catholic Bishops here in the United States. It changed its name to the USCCB, the NCCB as it was back then. And uh, what they did In 1977, they took a vote at this conference. They took a vote there, and the vote itself was deceptive. They actually did not get a sufficient number of votes that they needed in order to actually apply for permission for uh, communion in the hand with the Vatican. And in addition, the only way that they managed to get the votes in question was by polling the bishops who weren't there. They conducted a vote that was not secret, and the vote was required to be secret. Um, and uh, in, in addition, what they actually did prior to this was they misrepresented the idea that communion in the hand was an accepted practice. Because we have to go even further back to what the uh, the church in Rome was doing what the Vatican was doing Paul VI who in many cases a lot of traditionalist Catholics a lot of you know those kind of people really don't like Paul VI Paul VI was the second pope of the Vatican Council of the Second Vatican Council he was the guy who became pope midway through it and it was his responsibility for implementing a lot of the reforms of the Second Vatican Council so everyone's kind of dogging on Paul VI nobody likes this chap and I think he gets an absolutely terrible uh, terrible treatment by traditionalist Catholics. First off, we have to remember that Paul VI wrote Humanae Vitae, which of course is this great document all about uh, contraception and how contraception is is not a thing that Catholics should be doing. So obviously your six pack warriors are going to be agreeing on that one, I'm sure. And you know he did this great thing. But in addition, Paul VI wrote a couple of documents specifically talking about communion in the hand and how it was not a good idea, how it should not be done, how it should not be the practice, how it shouldn't be the uh, normal way of receiving communion. And what actually happened was he did allow within there, if the communion in the hand was already occurring within a particular area, within a particular nation, geographical area, something like that, if it was the prevailing norm, could get a special permission to do so. And that—that that is the, uh, the, the wedge that the bishops of the United States used in 1977. They used it in 1977, as I said, and they basically had this deceptive practice, this deceptive, all this parliamentary trickery and not counting votes right and not doing a secret vote and putting pressure on bishops and all of this stuff. Um, you know, I mean, hell, we just had 2020 and it was much the same thing in the election, all of that concern and worry there. And that happened in 1977 within the the, the church itself. So really what you have is you have this situation where the permission was granted, but it was granted under a spurious and inaccurate presumption that the communion in the hand was the norm and was accepted and was just a thing that people was doing. And the uh, votes The votes were not fair. They were not accurate. They were not counted right. They were not a secret ballot as they should have been. And even further to that, there is an actual set of rules, things that must be done in order for communion in the hand to be allowed. And one of them, the first one, and this is the key one, and this is the one that I really would always want to come down to, the only time communion in the hand is permitted, the only time it must, and I repeat, it must increase faith in the real presence in the Eucharist. And that's a really important thing. That's not a neutral thing. It's not that like, oh, it can't damage faith. What it is is it must increase the faith in the Eucharist. And when you look back historically at the people who originally introducing communion in the hand, they introduced it for exactly the opposite reason. It was introduced by heretics and by Protestants and people like that in order to destroy faith in the real presence.
1: Absolutely, and, and it has because a vast majority of Catholics don't believe in the real presence anymore. Uh, and it was a minority of bishops in 77 who kind of pushed this thing through, wasn't it? It wasn't the majority.
2: No, it was not. I mean, so so what they had was they had the situation where the vote was taken and the vote needed to be a secret ballot, because, of course, and this this is why we have secret ballots, okay? This is why you don't walk in to downtown Los Angeles and it's like you hold up a red flag to say you're voting Republican or you hold up a blue flag to say you're voting Democrat because you know what? Ain't nobody will be voting Republican because they'd get themselves you know stoned or something. Secret ballots, absolute cornerstone of any kind of democracy. The bishops had pressure put on them. In addition, there were bishops who were not present and their votes were polled. So basically, they went out and just like asked, how are you guys going to vote? And of course, there's no chain of custody for the ballots. There's no notion of who might have done it. You can put pressure on these people. It specifically says, in the rules for community in the hand, the vote must be secret, and the vote must be deliberative. That is, you must have been there for all of the discussions that you were having uh, about this issue. And you know what? They didn't do this. Interestingly, the guy who was responsible for this, this we would get off into the weeds, but I'm just going to say his name, and I'm sure your six-pack warriors have heard him. The guy who was responsible for this sitting in the chair, Bernard
1: That's That's, yeah, I was going to ask you to talk about that, because I think Cardinal Bernard, of course, at the time, he wasn't a cardinal. He was a mere priest, I believe.
2: Yeah, he was, he was a bishop. He was a bishop at the time, but oh. he hadn't been made cardinal yet. So he was, of course, still at the USCCB uh there but uh, yeah he was sitting in the chair he was doing that clearly a very powerful and influential man
1: yes and i think he did more damage to the church in america than any prelate ever
2: yeah i think that's fair i absolutely think that's that's fair i I don't think there would be a lot of disagreement on that one um he was uh infamous and part of the uh the chicago machine as it was known of course a lot of people are familiar with the term Chicago machine referring to the Cook County Democratic Party that did a lot of underhanded skullduggery kind of stuff. But there was the Chicago machine within the church that was headed up by Bernadine. And it was this group of bishops and priests who were exercising this big outsized influence on church's policy, including communion in their hand.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and that that was one of the things I gleaned from case files, by the way. I. I- have a tendency i don't know i don't have anything to prove this (laughs) but i have a tendency to think that you are probably the foremost expert on communion in the hand here in america
2: i i wouldn't like to say that i think i think there are a lot of people who probably have a lot more information uh sort of immediately at at their fingertips i stand on the shoulders of giants um you know look i did produce case files And I will say that I think Case Files Season 2, which is all about community in the hand, I think that that is probably, um, the, the, the best and most complete accessible approach to it. Okay. And, um, obviously, you know, your, your six pack warriors, I was talking about this with my wife last night and she said, what are you, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, I'm talking to all these six pack warriors. And she's like, six pack warriors. Are these like, (laughs) are these like big buff guys and they're doing a bunch of sit ups? And I'm like, I think, I think it's like Joe Sixpack. It's like, these are just standard kind of straight, normal American guys. And, you know, these are guys who are busy. They've got lives. They've got wives. They've got children. They've got jobs. They've got bowling leagues they've got to go to. They've got to go to be an usher at their church. They've got to repair the yard and they've got to mow the lawn and all this stuff. They don't have time to get into all the weeds of these discussions. So I would say that's why, I think case files, and I say I think it's the most, uh, the, the most comprehensive, accessible approach to it. Um, because it is. It's, it's about 10 episodes. Each one's about 20 minutes. You know, you could, you could sit there and just shotgun it in, 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 in an afternoon. You know, you could shotgun it with a six pack. It wouldn't be too hard. And you could get all of the information there that you want to do you want to get into all of these discussions and the theology and the legality and stuff. You know what? There's, there's big books written on the subject, but ultimately it's, can it be accessed by the average kind of guy in the pew, the average kind of guy who's just trying to get him and his wife and his kids to heaven. And I think, you know, Case Files, Case Files does that.
1: Thank you, Simon. Uh, And just so you know, God has blessed this show with a demographic that is 61% Catholic men between the ages of 18 and 34, the ideal demo that we're all after. Many point to the early church saying that the custom of communion in the hand began then. Explain to us why that's not really
2: true at all. Well, it's 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 a very interesting one, and you're going to get into a lot of big arguments with a lot of people with a lot of letters after their name. Um, are there examples within early church writings from the patristic period, from, from the fathers of the church, from the very early sort of years, the first couple hundred, first two, three, four hundred years, um, of things that seem to suggest that communion in the hand was done? Absolutely yes, there are writings that do say that. We also have writings, however, that say exactly the opposite from the same period. So it's, was this a practice that was practiced in some cases in the early church? It's possible. Was it also a practice that was actually condemned by people like uh, Pope Leo the Great? You know, absolutely yes. You know, Leo the Great condemned it and he said it wasn't to be done and it wasn't a thing. What often happens is uh, there's a letter from Saint Cyril. Now, we have a lot of uh, texts and writing from Saint Cyril. He's got various homilies and various commentaries and this sort of stuff. And then there are five letters, and this is one of the letters where there's a, a short passage in it about how you would receive communion in the hand. Now, in the earliest kind of discussions and analysis of Cyril's writings, um, the five letters are not even mentioned. There's some debate as to even are these authentically from St. Cyril? Are these even authentic? There's actually a discussion there. And what he discusses is he discusses going up and kind of making a throne with one hand and receiving communion in the hand like that. And that's what everyone talks about. And everyone says, Oh, you know, St. Cyril's down with it. So it's okay. It's an early church practice. Well, St. Cyril then goes on to say you should touch your eyes with the Eucharist. You should take the, uh, the moisture from the precious blood just after you'd received it and touch that to your eyes and your forehead and all your organs of sense, which of course, okay, that seems unusual. That seems a practice that we, we, we wouldn't be doing today. So latching onto one small part of it is, uh it, it's a bit I don't want to say disingenuous because in many cases people haven't even seen the full text of the letter. They're just seeing this small quote. Um, but it's 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 unfair and it's inaccurate, it's misrepresenting what St. Cyril said, if indeed he said it at all. But to be honest with you, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go with some kind of like, well, they did this in the first century, in the second century, in the 10th century. Even they did this in the 1950s. I wouldn't want to go with an argument to be saying they used to do this, so we should do this now. That's not the reason. There's plenty of things that the church did in the early church that we don't do now. For example, public confession. For a long time, it was public confession. Ask your six-pack warriors if they're down with that. I suspect they are not. Everyone (laughs) likes, you know, private confession. I like private confession. Thank God for private confession, because otherwise, I, I don't know, man, it could be real embarrassing. Um, as well, there was a whole policy for a long time that priests could not celebrate Mass without the bishop being present. Well, obviously, that would be impractical and not not a thing that happened now. Um, in Really, what we should be looking at is, is communion in the hand a good idea? And there's actually um, basically three reasons why communion in the hand is not a good idea, or, to put it another way, and this is how I always like to think of it, is communion on the tongue a good idea? Look, loads of people who are not Catholic, they're, they're really down on the Catholic Church because they're talking about the Catholic Church as like, a thou shalt not, you know, thou shalt not use contraception, thou shalt not fornicate, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, and it's all thou shalt not. Well, that's okay, but ultimately we should be looking at this as thou shalt. What is a positive way of expressing the way we as Catholics should behave? What should we be doing in order to not just avoid sin, but actually increase our piety and increase our holiness? Now, there's three major reasons for communion in the hand uh, being a bad idea. The first one is an external presentation. When we go and we receive communion in the hand, and we receive the Eucharist in our hand, and we kind of eat it, Like we would eat a chip or a cracker or a Dorito or something like that, what message are we sending to anyone who looks at us? We're sending the message that that is just regular food. This isn't special, okay? When we go and we receive communion on the tongue and we're kneeling, you know, at an altar rail and it's it's very uh, ritualized and it's very unusual and it's completely different to the way we do anything else in our life? What message are we sending to anyone who observes that? Well, why? That that little bit of bread, that must be something really special because of the way it's being received. And so there's a form of, of catechesis, a form of evangelization there from our posture and our, our ideas. The second reason is what does it do to us now, there's a, a great book that I'm a big fan of called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, who wasn't Catholic, but that really wasn't his fault. He was real close. <laughs> um, but his a lot of the stuff he talks about is really good. And in The Screwtape Letters, there's a great discussion where it's actually said that human beings, their postures, what human beings do with their bodies influences their souls, influences them. We have to remember, as human beings, we're not... Uh, a body that has a soul. We're not a soul that has a body. We're not a person that has a soul and has a body. What we are is we are a body and a soul. We are these things. So when you come along and you say, well, I'm going to receive kneeling. I'm going to receive on the tongue. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to genuflect before the tabernacle. I'm going to mark myself with the sign of the cross. I'm going to fold my hands to prayer. I'm going to kneel down to confess. All of these things. You're doing something with your body. Well, that's an expression of of, of belief, of piety, of... It's a reflection of your soul, okay? So when we say... Uh, let's guard your tongue. I know you've written great articles about this, Joe. Let's let's guard your tongue. Let's not say things that are uh, wrong or blasphemous and swearing and angry. Let's not do that. I know you've written these great articles about guarding our tongue and how we should, uh, you know, not say things that are rude or blasphemous or angry and all of these kind of things. Um, well, the same applies to our bodies. And obviously, that means we shouldn't be making, you know, rude gestures at people. We shouldn't be, you know, flipping the bird at people when we're driving and all that sort of stuff, obviously. But equally, let's look at this again. Not thou shalt not, but thou shalt. Well, okay. Should we be using our hands to strike people, or should we be using them to lift them up? Should we be using our tongue to say rude things or things that will elevate people and help them and encourage them? Should we be using our bodies just to stand there and receive the Eucharist like it's a cracker, or should we be using our bodies to receive the Eucharist as if it is truly what it is, the creator of the universe? And so that's kind of the second one. The other one, and this is a huge one that I think will really resonate with the six-pack warriors, even if they, you know, The others are kind of like, "Eh, yeah, you know, I've I've got my mind in a good place to receive Jesus. I know where I am. The Eucharist is Jesus Christ. The Eucharist is God. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, and every single fragment, every single piece of the bread and wine, or what was bread and wine, you know, the the, the cup and the, the, the host, they are Jesus. So when you receive Jesus in your hand, what happens? Well, he touches your hand and bits of him break off. You've got these tiny little fragments, these tiny little crumbs. And so then you pick Jesus up and you put him in your mouth. And okay, so you've got maybe bits of Jesus on your fingers and you've got bits of Jesus on your hands. And what are you going to do? You're walking back to the pew. Okay. You're walking back to the pew. You're you're, you're corralling your kid who's going to go trying to run off down the aisle. You've grabbed him. Okay. So there's bits of bits of Jesus on his shoulder. There's bits of Jesus on the pew. There's bits of Jesus that you've just brushed off on the floor. That is the profanation of the sacred species. That's a real risk. And I've done the experiment myself. It's actually in case files. And as well, it was done by uh, other Catholics, where they actually took a host, an unconsecrated host, you know, an unconsecrated one, so there's no risk of profanation, put it on a, a hand, put it on a hand, a bare hand, put it on a hand with a leather glove. You can see... The fragments of Jesus there. And what happens to Jesus? Where does he go? Well, he just gets brushed away to the four winds. And that's, how are we treating our God? And that's like a critical thing. How are we treating our God? Are we treating our God in a way that says, look, I'm going to show this respect to God. I'm going to show that uh, this Eucharist, this little thing that looks like a bit of bread, this really is something special. So if anyone sees it, they go, wow, That must be something real special to the Catholics. Am I going to help myself worship? Am I going to worship and pray just with my mind and just with my voice? Or am I going to do it with this body? that I've been given as well. I was given a body by God. Maybe I should use it to worship him. And am I going to take every reasonable precaution that I can to make sure I'm not profaning Jesus and scattering all over the place? And so those are kind of the things that I would really want to say to your six pack warriors that, you know, these, these are guys out there, you know, obviously majority of them are men, some of the girls, but in general, you know, guys are out there and they're wanting to give good example to other people. They're wanting to stand up for Jesus. They're wanting to not profane Jesus. And they're wanting to get to heaven. And you know what? Communion on the tongue, especially kneeling, is, is an absolutely brilliant way to do that.
1: I, I Listen, you, you killed my next question altogether, <laughs> except for one thing. Okay. Let's say that you have managed to convince the six pack warriors who absolutely insist on receiving in the hand. Let's say you've convinced them to stop that. Even though most of them didn't realize prior to this that they were doing a bad thing, a bad thing was still being done mm-hmm. and reparation is required. What would you say to them about reparation? What should they be doing about that?
2: Well, I think, firstly, we want to look at the idea of of reparation. uh, uh, There's a formal process for reparation that is kind of occurs within confession or or after confession uh, as as well. So it's when the priest absolves you, and then you're given your penance, and you go say your penance. Now, if the six-pack warriors really truly think that they have sinned by doing this, and to be honest with you, I would probably say the vast majority of them haven't, because sin requires like an actual... Conscious embrace of something wrong, yeah. And you know, look, I, these 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 guys are not necessarily haven't heard this before. Now, if they want to go out oh, the Limey he doesn't know anything, and I am going to go ignore him. Okay, that's on them; that's their business, and they can go do this. But I would say that that I don't want I don't want to say to any of your guys, "Oh, you did some sin because of this, and you need to fix that." But in terms of reparation, look, mend what you've marred. Let's go back and look at those things again first. Okay, you've you've knelt down. You've not knelt down, and you've not received on the tongue. You've just kind of received holy communion like it was a cracker. Who's seen you do that? Your wife, your kids, your friends, the, the, your 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 brother, who doesn't go to mass very often, but you know, at Thanksgiving he he happens to do it because he comes in for uh, for the great Thanksgiving meal. or there? You know, they've seen you do this. Make sure they don't see you do it again. Make sure they don't see you going up. Make sure that you give good witness in the future to these people, Amen. so they do that. Um, if you feel that you've um, done this yourself and you're like, "Oh man, I, it's like I, I haven't worshipped with my body. I've worshipped with my mind. I've worshipped with my tongue, but I haven't worshipped with my body." Well, start, start. It's never too late to become holy. You know what? The the, the good thief proved that. <laughs> You know, the guy's nailed up for like literally being a thief. That's what it is. They, they've nailed the guy up. He's going to die. He's been condemned to death. He's justly condemned to death, he says. And he's like, Lord, Lord, remember me. And Jesus is like, I will see you in paradise. You know, I mean, it's never too late to become holy. It's never too late to try to help yourself. So I would, I would say that that's the way to repair it. Do, Do it right moving forward and use it, especially as an evangelization tool.
1: I, and I think that is key evangelization tool. Uh, I spent the vast majority of my career as a lay evangelist converting non-Catholics and bringing them into the church. I've made over 200 converts or God has used me to make to over 200 converts in one-on-one small group venues over the years, but i came to the realization why it took this long, but I came to the realization about eight or 10 years ago that Catholics are the ones who need to be evangelized because they don't have any idea Mm -hmm. what the church teaches. Yes. Okay, I talk to six-pack warriors all the time about the cowardice of bishops, about the cowardice of uh, priests behind the pulpit, And they love hearing that. They love to hear me call these guys a coward. It's real easy to point at the other guy and say, that's a coward, and everybody else chime in. What's hard is looking in the mirror and asking yourself, am I a coward? Because the final objection to stopping communion in the hand is going to be they're worried about, being the only ones in the parish that, who are not receiving communion in the hand, yeah. or being singled out, or persecuted mm-hmm. even by the priest, which happens, it does. Uh, what would you say to them?
2: Well, I think first off is 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 know your rights is, is what I would say. I mean, it's like the the whole thing. It's like you know they they say to people who get arrested, know your rights. Well, saying to the people who are going to get challenged by the priest, know your rights. What what I'll actually do here is I'll do a bit of a plug. We've talked about case files. Um, Case Files is a premium show on Church Milton. Now, I would strongly advise your six-pack warriors to sign up for a premium subscription, even if only just to watch Case Files, just to sort of try and prove me wrong, I mean, or whatever, or to get the additional information, whatever they fancy. We've actually got a special discount code that I've set up for them. It's six-pack, all in capital letters. When you go to sign up for a premium subscription, just put in six-pack, all in capital letters, in the uh, uh Discount code section. It's all there. And uh, you'll get 50% off your first charge of premium subscription. So what you could do, you could pay 5 bucks, which is the cost of a gallon of gas today. Thanks, Joe Biden. You could pay <laughs> 5 bucks, get a month's access, immediately cancel. You've still got access for a month. You've got a month to watch case files to watch everyone else you want to do. And you can get that kind of information. Now, the reason that I say that is to know your rights. We talk about the rights in that. and One of your rights is that you can receive Holy Communion On the tongue and kneeling. You cannot be denied it. It remains the universal norm in the church. Receiving in the hand is an indult. It is an exception. Permission must be granted for it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if some priest says, Oh, I, uh, you can't receive uh, on the tongue. Uh, you know, you can't receive kneeling. You're disrupting people. I don't want to do it. COVID, blah, blah, blah. Whatever they say, it's like, you know, father, Obviously, you don't start a scene at the communion rail, you know, you know, start a brawl and start an argument there. But afterwards, go up to him and say, look, these are the rules, father. This is it. And that's, that's, this is what I want. All I want is my rights. So first off, it's like, know your rights and argue for them. But the second one is this question of like, if you're the only guy there, uh, you know, doing it, you're the only person standing up to do this. And that's hard. As you said, Joe, it's easy to point to somebody else and say they're a coward and have everyone else join in. Well, you know what? Stand up and do it. Literally just do it. Cowboy up. It's that simple. <laughs> if you feel, if you feel that you should not be receiving Holy Communion in the hand and you should be receiving Holy Communion on the tongue, cowboy up. If you feel, on another example, if you feel that you should be out there in front of the abortion clinic, Praying the rosary. And you're like, oh, what happens if I cowboy up? If you feel anything, if you feel my conscience tells me that this is a thing, just cowboy up. That's the whole point. And, you know, with the best one in the world, six pack warriors, it's real easy to be a warrior when you don't have anyone to fight. And you don't have anyone to fight if you're not going in there and you're not getting in it. I'm not saying you should go up and start, you know, kicking over tables and causing a problem and deliberately making yourself a jerk and all these problems. No. But you know what? Stand up for what you feel is right, for what your conscience is calling causing, calling you to do. And then very simply, just, yeah, have that courage and do it. And you know what? Once you've done it, 99 times out of 100, it ain't going to be a thing. You're going to get a dirty look from the priest. Some of those Karens in the parish, are going to be like, oh, tat, Tut, he's making a scene?" That's what they're going to be doing. That's it. That's all you're going to get. And you know what? You gave witness. And maybe there was somebody else who doesn't have your guts, who doesn't have your spine, who is going to go, well, that guy did it. That guy did it. You know what? I'm going to do it. And next week, there's two of you, and then there's four, and then there's eight. And then, you know, sooner before you know, it's like, this is just what how it's done at the parish. This is the thing. And, you know, that that becomes... It, movements are started by one man. That's what it is. Your six-pack warriors can be that one man in their parish, I think.
1: I And that's excellent. And this goes right back to I frequently have to remind six-pack warriors, especially whenever I've given them marching orders, (laughs) I have to remind them that the motto for this apostolate is comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. They're going to have to be convicted.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Look, and... Sometimes you're going to get some of your 6 back warriors, and they're going to be going to a parish where commune the hand is normal, or at the very least accepted. Okay, and so for these those guys, this isn't their challenge. You know, this isn't their hill to to quote unquote die on. Even though no one's going to die, it's this isn't it. There's, there's going to be something else. Absolutely, hundred percent, there's going to be something else for those guys. You know, something else for them to be convicted with and to show courage over and to lose their comfort. But you know what? It's like maybe this is it. Maybe this is the thing, and it's not a big deal. Ultimately, it's not a big deal. Look, sooner or later, there's going to be a real persecution of the church in the West. Yes. Sooner or later. Maybe in my lifetime, maybe not for 100 years. Sooner or later, something's going to happen. Persecution in the church is happening all over the place. In China, in the Middle East, in Africa, happening there, you know, uh, there's a kind of sort of persecution here of like, yeah, but really, what is it? It's I, I wouldn't even really want to count it. The martyrs of Rome would laugh at us with with, with what it is. But let's say that persecution is going to come real soon. Let's say it's going to come within the lifetime of your listeners. Well, how do those guys expect to stand up when the Marxists or the Muslims or the Protestants or the atheists or whoever they are, you know, they burst through the door with a gun and they say, okay, up against the wall, and if you don't deny Christ, I'm going to shoot you. How do your warriors expect to say, Viva Cristo Rey. How do they expect to say, you know, glory to the sacred heart when they won't even kneel down to receive communion on the tongue in their own parish in a perfectly safe
1: Amen. Town?
2: That's it. And look, there's a great quote from Scripture that, that how can you be responsible for the big things if you are not responsible for the small things? It was actually like a reading, uh, just uh, I think, of the last last Mass I was at. And, uh, yeah, it, it's that. It's like, look, courage Virtue, holiness—they're like a muscle. Okay, so this whole idea of like, well, hey, I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, go to the garden centre and lift up a fifty-pound bag of soil. I'm going to be able to do that. Well, okay, you—you've you, never lifted anything heavier than a coffee cup for the last four years, dude. You know, you're not going to be able to pick up that fifty-pound bag of soil. In just the same way, you've got to build up the, your spiritual muscles, your courage, your conviction, your holiness. You've got to build those up through little tiny sacrifices little exercises every single day so that when the big thing comes along you know when the lgbtqi plus plus mose people charge through the door with a gun and they're all like okay we're going to shoot you unless you deny christ that gives you the courage to do it
1: amen simon just as you do most of the time when i listen to you i'm all excited I think it was a great decision to have you here on the show and expose you to Six Pack Warriors. Uh, will you come back again at some other point? I think that it would be a good idea to talk about Vatican II sometime in the yeah, near future. Yeah, I
2: would, I would, I would love to talk about it. I'd love to be on a show more. Look, I mean, the the, the whole thing is one of the things that I would say is uh, your demographic, the people listening to your show, they really are an essential part of the church and there yes, are part of the are. church that's been really neglected in terms of catechesis that there's been a lot of uh emphasis on you know like a, a women's ministry or a, a ministry for you know the the, the very young and they getting the kids in and this sort of stuff but just your average joe in the pews he's been really neglected and he's not had an opportunity for catechesis but he's the core of the church and that's the thing and no i would i would love to uh, have the opportunity to come and talk to your guys about, about more topics, more things.
1: I I appreciate that. And, and you mentioned this demographic being poorly catechized. I'm also finding that this demographic is very hungry. Yes. I do, well, right now we're on our summer break, but I do weekly uh, webinars called Sharing the Catholic Faith, uh, which are very well attended. We start back September 11th. And, uh, more and more and more people are joining with us as we go along. I started out with two or three people. Now I can't count the number of them, but, uh, you know, and maybe at some point, uh, I have a section in that where we talk about communion in the hand. Maybe you would like to come on that webinar as well.
2: I'd be be happy to do that, Joe. I'd love to do that.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Simon. We're both running a hot clock, so I guess we better call it quits. You take care of yourself, my friend.
2: All right. God bless, Joe. You take care now.
1: I hope you enjoyed Simon. We'll have him on again for other topics as well. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode for all the links Simon wants you to see, including the discount code for 50% off for a Church Militant Premium Membership.
3: If Catholics have any hope of returning the country to God, our families to God, then we need to match and surpass the intensity of the Marxists. It's impossible to turn on the news and not see another victory from the anti-family woke crowd. You cannot create any meaningful change by sitting back and just consuming podcasts and signing online petitions. Church Militants' Call to Action Convention is the blueprint for taking back the church and the culture. We've assembled a team of panelists that have unseated politicians, exposed corrupt clergymen, and saved the unborn, not to mention converted people to the one true faith. And now we are asking you to get involved. What you put into this is what you We'll get out of it. So please sign up at cmresistance.com, and we'll show you exactly how you can begin to change your local community to be God-fearing, pro-family, and true to our country's values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of true happiness.
0: It's time for the Sacred Heart wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the Every Catholic Guy.
1: Six-Pack Warriors, I'm here with Bishop Strickland for the first episode of the new segment, The Sacred Heart Wins. Bishop Strickland, how are you this afternoon, Excellency?
4: Good, Joe. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm feeling real good. Your Excellency, our question today is from Edmund, and he asked, what can we do to support the canceled priests?
4: Well, certainly uh, my first response would probably be very expected, but certainly to pray for them. To also, if if you know a priest that, uh, as you describe, is canceled, to reach out to them, to communicate with them, to support them in every way you can. I know that this phenomenon of canceled priests is something that I've heard a lot about, and it's troubling. Uh, What's difficult is to know exactly what that means in an individual situation, and very often it's hard to know what's really going on, unless Edmund or any person is personally connected to one of these priests. And so I guess my response to Edmund's question would be, the more connected you are, the more you have an opportunity to uh, provide support. If you actually know this priest, and maybe is a priest of your diocese or a priest that you had relationship with and in, in one way maybe you're a parishioner or you've just known them to um to use that to use your connection to um maybe if it's a situation in your diocese write a letter of support for this priest not in without knowing details or anything to to keep it positive but to that you know may make a difference i don't uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know what the situations are. Sometimes I know I've been contacted by priests that would describe themselves as canceled. And as I talk to them, the, the situation uh, is complicated at times. And sometimes there's little that I can do as another bishop or a lay person can do from you know, another diocese or even within the diocese. I would encourage using whatever opportunities you have in goodwill to support the priest, to pray for them, if you know them and you've experienced them as a good and faithful priest, to express that in any way you can, to write a letter to their bishop or to official at their chancery. So to go beyond prayer, but also to acknowledge the, the situations can sometimes be quite complicated, and without knowing a, a lot of answers to those questions about a specific priest, it's hard to get very
1: specific. Thank you very much, Excellency. Hey, we'll see you next week, okay? Okay. Bye-bye. Everyone searches the Internet to solve problems or fill needs they have. For many of you, I've already done the heavy lifting discounting the evil things search for online, people generally search for things that tell them how to make money online, health and wellness products, and trading and investing. Some are interested in having their own podcast. I've got your back on these things. Visit cantankerouscatholic.com. Go to the episodes page, then click on the title of this episode. Below the podcast player, you'll see my show notes. I've already listed products and services in various groupings. Check them out. You can help yourself and this apostolate at the same time because if you like what you see and purchase the products or services, this apostolate will get a small commission. Check out those links today.
0: now here's Joe Sixpack. God
1: commanded Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant. In it was placed the stone commandments written by the finger of God himself on Sinai. It also contained Aaron's rod and a jar of manna. Most of all, everywhere the Ark was, there was the presence of Almighty God. The Ark was declared by God to be so sacred that the Israelites were forbidden to touch it. Indeed, God had commanded that, because of the holiness of the Ark, if anyone touched it, he would die. On its sides were rings, through which the Israelites slid wooden rods so they could carry the Ark when it needed to be moved. The Ark had once been captured by the Philistines, but King David defeated them and recaptured the Ark. He ordered it brought back to Bethlehem, and had a new cart built so the oxen could carry it in a triumphal return to the city of David. Along the way, the oxen stumbled, and one of the escorts reached out to stop the ark from falling off the cart. As soon as he touched it, God struck the man dead, because he had touched that which was so holy, even though he did so out of love and devotion. God is serious about His commands when He tells us what to do and what not to do. The Ark of the Covenant was a prefigurement of Jesus and Mary. The New Covenant, of course, was, is, Jesus. The Ark of the New Covenant is the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Ark of the Covenant carried the presence of God, but the Ark of the New Covenant carried God Himself. This Ark of the New Covenant, the Blessed Virgin Mary, carried God Himself in the human form of the Second Person of the Most Holy Trinity. Just as the Israelites went to God through the Ark of the Covenant, so do we go to Jesus through Mary. Scripture plainly declares in many passages that the Blessed Virgin is the Mother of God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, according to Luke 1, 32-35. The saintly Elizabeth greeted Mary with the words, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In Luke 1.43. St. Paul writes, God set forth his son, born of a woman, in Galatians 4.4. The Apostles' Creed, which was written near the end of the first century while St. John the Apostle was still alive, professes our belief in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. This belief was so firmly accepted as the revealed that the Council of Ephesus in AD 431 made it the standard of orthodoxy, excommunicating the Nestorian heretics who denied it. Not catholics who make Mary only the mother of Jesus do so because they don't accept the true doctrine of the Incarnation. That is, that Jesus Christ possesses a divine and human nature in one divine person. Jesus was never a human person. He was, is, a divine person who assumed our human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary. She was, is, the mother of the second person of the Holy Trinity, and therefore the mother of God. As our mothers aren't called the mothers of our bodies, but simply our mothers, because the soul directly created by God is united with the body of a human person, so the Blessed Virgin Mary isn't called the mother of the human nature of Christ, but simply the mother of God, because the divine nature, eternally begotten of the Father, is united with the human nature in the divine personality of Jesus Christ. This is called the hypostatic union. Most Protestants don't know that their founders, Luther and Calvin, admit the dogma of the divine maternity. Luther wrote, There is no honor, no beatitude, capable of approaching an elevation which consists in being of the whole human race, the sole person superior to all others unequaled in the prerogative of having one son in common with the Heavenly Father. Calvin wrote, We cannot acknowledge the blessings brought us by Jesus without acknowledging at the same time how highly God honored and enriched Mary in choosing her for the mother of God. The Catholic Church has always paid special honor to the Blessed Virgin because God honored her above all creatures by bestowing the highest honor He could confer, the divine maternity. The Bible tells us that Jesus honored her by living with her under the same roof at Nazareth for 30 years until he began his public ministry, that he honored her requests as at the wedding feast at Cana, and that he demonstrated his love for her from the cross when he entrusted her to the care of his most beloved disciple, John. How can anyone call Mary an ordinary woman and at the same time pretend to be a student of the Bible? would god choose an ordinary woman to be the mother of his only son when he had millions of women to choose from the prophet isaiah spoke of mary centuries before her coming in chapter 7 verse 14 and god sent an angelic ambassador to announce her supereminent dignity in luke 126 and another to comfort saint joseph in his moment of doubt in matthew 120 both the angel and St. Elizabeth called her blessed among women, and her own prophecy that henceforth all generations shall call me blessed in Luke one forty-eight is fulfilled by Catholics every day all over the world. The devout client of Mary is always the strong defender of the divinity of Jesus Christ her Son. The divine maternity, as the Council of Ephesus clearly recognized, has always been the standard of orthodox belief in the true doctrine of the Incarnation. Love for Mary, who is God's masterpiece of creation, by its very nature leads us to the love of Christ her Son. Jesus can't be jealous of the praise we give her, as every one of her privileges and prerogatives are his own free gift to her. Is the artist jealous of the praise you give his masterpiece? Is the author jealous of the praise you give his book? Rather than be jealous of the praise and devotion we give to the Blessed Virgin Mary, Jesus wants us to love her as He loved her, thus imitating Him as Scripture says we should. Without Mary, there could be no Jesus. It isn't possible for us to go to Jesus unless we go through Mary. Just as the shepherds and the wise men had to go through Mary to see Jesus at the nativity, so we must go through her to see him today. Mary always leads us to her son. Do you like to write? Would you like to learn to write? What if I told you that anyone can learn to write and build a six-figure income as a result? I'm talking about copywriting. The sales letters you've read, the radio and TV commercials that you hear and see, and virtually everything you see online from asking for donations to selling things was written by a copywriter. And those jobs pay big. The American Writers and Artists Institute, or AWAI, will teach you everything you need to know to be a highly paid copywriter. Then after you've completed their comprehensive course, AWAI will even help you get your first high-paying client. And this is a perfect career for stay-at-home moms because you can work at your leisure from your internet-connected devices from anywhere in the world. Learn more by clicking the link in my show notes that says American Writers and Artists Institute. Do it today. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He said, Only those who live by faith know what is happening in the world. The great masses without faith are unconscious of the destructive processes going on because they have lost the vision of the heights from which they have fallen. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A neighbor of Farmer Jones came to him and said, Jimmy Williams took a wagon load of apples from your orchard. Who told you, the farmer asked. The informer said that he heard the story from Joe Spike. Farmer Jones went to see Joe Spike and asked him, Did you see Johnny Williams steal a wagon load of apples from my orchard? Goodness, no, replied Joe. What I heard was that he took a wheelbarrow full. Steve Pepper told me that. When Farmer Jones asked Steve Pepper, he answered, All I said was that he took a pocketful of your apples. Gertie Gabby told me that. Gertie Gabby said, I said he took one of your apples. Lizzie Lizard told me about it. Lizzie Lizard said, Johnny Williams was talking to me the other day and mentioned that your apples were ripe and it was about time somebody picked them. If you can't say anything good about a person, don't say anything at all keep your yap shut. Especially don't tell lies that may harm the good name and reputation of another person.
0: This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.